welcome to Snescapades, a chronological journey through the North American Super Nintendo Library, three games at a time. We play them briefly, we judge them harshly, and we rank them. And that's pretty much all you need to know. I am Steampunk Link. I am Emmy Zero. And we have more sports. Sports, we're back at the sports desk today. We have sports balls. We have all sorts of sports balls. We have balls of the base. We have balls of the American foot. And also, no sports thing can be complete without crass advertising. We've also got Chester Cheetah here with us today. We actually have Chester Cheetah himself live here in the studio. Uh, hey, Chester, how's it going? It's going great. How are you guys? Figuratively. You usually rhyme more than that, Chester. What's what's happening there? I'm off the clock. <laughs> All right. So anyway, before we get into the games, folks, uh, there's a lot of stuff going on in the modern video game industry right now. Uh, Very little of it good. We just wanted to take a quick break to say that, you know, whenever we're talking about video game companies in terms of history, we're not making an endorsement of that company or trying to say that we think that that company is good. So when we talked about Ubisoft last week, we we did mention that some of the stuff that was going on. But what's going on with Ubisoft is really, really awful. There are tons of allegations against Ubisoft executives who have abused people, who have sexually abused people, and have also been shifted around to other studios like they're the freaking Catholic Church or something. Ubisoft is a, a an absolutely despicable company. I don't know how deep it, that rabbit hole goes. I feel confident saying right now it is more moral to bootleg an Ubisoft game than it is to purchase it legally. I will stand by that statement. Um, don't purchase an Ubisoft game if you can absolutely help it. They have huge systemic problems, and it is not at all clear how how sincere they are about actually dealing with those. So I also would not advocate buying a Ubi- an Ubisoft game at this point. All right. Well, with all of that unpleasantness out of the way, let's move on to something more pleasant. First up, we've got Cal Ripken Jr. Baseball. I think that's the title. Cal Ripken Jr. Baseball. Uh, That is the title. That is correct. Yes. Cal Ripken Jr. is, of course, um, the uh, son of Cal Ripken. Yes. And uh, he is a famous baseball man. And uh, I don't know a whole lot about him. Neither of us know a single thing about him. So who made this one? Uh, This one comes to us courtesy of developer Beam Software. I feel like we've seen them a lot. And Publisher Mindscape, uh, two companies that have come up before. (laughs) Have we dove into the Mindscape story yet? I'm not sure if we have. I don't think we have, honestly, because they published Wing Commander on the SNES, which we did talk about Wing Commander just a few episodes ago, but I don't think we really talked much about Mindscape. We had a lot of stuff to say about Chris Roberts. So the Mindscape story is a story that bounces around all over the place as the company would acquire and be acquired by many other companies throughout its history. And further complicating matters is that all of my usual resources seem to be just riddled with errors. Moby Games, for example, claims that the company's first game was released in 1983, even though a 1985 Chicago Tribune article claims their first product went to market in 1984. The game that Moby Games claims is the their first 1983 game is called Tink Tonk in the Land of Buddy Bots, and I've 
seen like clips of that game online and of the title screen, and I do not see any mention of Mindscape anywhere in the credits. And as another example, Giant Bomb's wiki claims that the company still exists today, which is absolutely not true. (laughs) Regardless, we can be fairly sure that the story starts out just outside of Chicago, Illinois, with former Scholastic executive Roger Bowie, who founded the company in 1983 as a subsidiary of SFN Companies, a holding company. Uh, My guess for Mindscape's actual first product might have been the very strange 1984 conversation simulator Raptor for DOS and Apple II and Amiga later. It was a text generation program originally created by William Chamberlain and Thomas Etter, who claimed that the program was responsible for writing the 1983 book, The Policeman's Beard is Half Constructed. Have you ever heard of this? What? No, never. Yeah, I, I was really shocked to find out about all this because I'd, I'd never heard of any of this. But apparently they, they say that they made this program that would just generate text and it wrote a book for them. Okay. I've never read The Policeman's Beard is Half Constructed. Now I'm a little curious. The version of the program published and released to the public by Mindscape in 1984 isn't as sophisticated as the program that wrote the book, but was still capable of generating a lot of text on almost any topic input by the user. You can almost think of it as an ancestor to the modern-day chatbot generating responses based on user input. The program was developed by Inrack, which neither Giant Bomb nor Moby Games attribute any other games to. If you could even call that a game. I don't know. I think we're off the map here. I don't have any idea what to say about any of this. It's really strange. So uh, in 1986, SFN announced it would be liquidating Mindscape. This didn't seem to phase Mindscape, though, as they not only survived intact, but even uh, acquired other companies through means that I, I don't understand any of this stuff. You guys, business is stupid and weird, and I hate it, and I don't understand any of this. I'm just going to say all that right now. Um, I'm not even going to go over all the companies that they acquired in 86 and 87 because that would just take too long. Uh, Mindscape would themselves be acquired in 1990 by the software Toolworks, who we probably talked about back when we discussed the Chess Master. But if not, we'll cover them specifically when we get to some of the Mario educational titles like Mario is Missing. Oh, boy. Yeah. So Mindscape Toolworks, which would just take on the single name Mindscape eventually, was acquired by Pearson in 1994 and then sold to the learning company in 1998, who I believe we've we've talked about. They had already acquired Bruderbund by this point, which is probably when we talked about them. So the learning company would end up under the umbrella of Gore's Technology Group in 2000 and then end up as its own entity again, uh, but this time outside of Paris, France. Yeah, like I said, all of this stuff is really confusing, and I don't entirely understand it. I totally lost the thread at this point, but I'm going to pick it back up here as we go into 2009, where the now independent Mindscape, SA, sets up an internal development studio, also in France, called Puncher's Impact, which would focus on producing games for digital marketplaces like Xbox 360 and PS4. Their big title, the one that they really hung their hopes on, was a MOBA race hybrid game called Crasher, and that game ended up falling far short of sales expectations to the point that Mindscape shuttered the studio and exited the game industry completely in 2011. You know, chasing those trends didn't work out for him. On that note, folks, uh, please uh, check out my new uh, not-at-all-predatory monetization scheme game uh, available for iPhone and Android (laughs) later this month. Uh, No, I'm kidding. So yeah, Cal Ripken Jr. Baseball. I think this 
is slightly better than a lot of baseball games we've played, but also that's uh, not a not terribly high praise coming from us. No, it's not. I mean, I think that on balance for for sports that have more than like a couple of entries on our list. Uh, baseball pretty easily ranks the lowest, I think. So yeah, like saying it's one of the better baseball games still doesn't really put it in great company, but I think you're right. It certainly looks better than many of the baseball games. It has some very nice color usage, uh, some genuinely really good animation for the pitchers. Everything's nice and clear. You know, the overhead shots of the field are nicely detailed to an extent where it's always very easy to see what's going on. I think it plays decently as well for, you know, I don't mean to sound condescending when I say this, but but for one of these, I think it, it plays it plays pretty well. But it does work very similarly to many of the other baseball games we played. You have your behind the, the batter's view for pitching and batting. You have a a sort of long shot that scrolls around the field to follow the ball whenever the ball's in play a few different fields to play in um an exhibition mode and a tournament mode all that stuff is here i found the batting was fine uh pitching was kind of limited as you can really only um slow down and speed up the ball and you can put a little bit of a spin on it you know not a ton yeah i found myself just never managing to really throw a lot of strikes and a lot of batters just being able to hit all of my pitches well into the outfield. It was really hard to actually um, mix things up against the computer. I had more trouble batting than pitching, actually. Pitching was okay for me, but yeah, I really struggled to, to you know, I don't know if it was a timing thing or what, but I definitely struggled to hit the ball successfully a lot of the time. All of that, I guess, is kind of par for the course for, you know, Super Nintendo baseball game. I kind of liked the fielding in this game. I, I felt like the fielding worked better than in a lot of baseball games we've played with one big problem, which is that you have to press a button to actually change which outfielder you have control over. It seems to put me in control of, you know, pretty much who I would want to be in control of if, say, like there's just a pop fly going into center field. But if someone hits a line drive down a baseline and I miss it with the baseman, then I have to hit a button before I can actually take control of the outfielder to uh, get the ball as it rolls into the outfield. And that kind of uh, messed me up a lot. I don't really get why you would add that extra bit of complexity here. It doesn't really seem to add anything. Yeah, it's it's not my preferred way of, of handling the fielding. But I did feel like, you know, the, the fielders moved at a good clip, which is uh, kind of rare for games on the Super Nintendo, honestly. They, they all tend to feel really sluggish for the most part, so... Is, is Cal... Cal Ripken is the only real player in here, right? Yeah, there are no licenses attached to this game, so no real players or real teams. Yeah, pre- presentation-wise, it's it's alright. I will say right off the bat that... <laughs> right off the bat, I don't like the music in this. I think it is pretty bad been sort of disappointed when sports games like for example the sports game the other sports game that we have in this episode just don't have music but in this case i actually think i would have preferred it if this game just had no music it's it's almost like the only thing i can really compare it to is the music in uh (laughs) uh, i believe another mindscape published super nintendo game the chess master where it's a lot of like Seinfeld slap bass and um, just it, it is not good sounding. And that 
sticks out to me as like the one aspect of the presentation that I think is kind of subpar. Well, I'm not sure I've got a heck of a whole lot else to talk about with this one. Um, it's another one of these. It's another baseball game. You know, once again, not to not to be dismissive of it. If this is your kind of thing, this I think is one of the better games of of this genre on the system so far. Let's see here. So I'm I'm fairly certain that uh, Baseball Simulator 1000 is still our number one uh, for baseball anyway, which means it is 75 overall. Yeah, I would say it's not as good as that. And the next baseball game on the list is number 81 extra innings. And I would say it's not as good as that either. I don't know. There's there's a, a clutch of games right below extra innings that I think are of kind of dubious quality f1 roc race of champions at 82 super adventure island at 83 and d force at 84 how do you think this stacks up to those um it's a tough call i think i would put this above d force at 84 i don't think there was anything about d force that would make me recommend it over this now d force has like some legit mechanical issues that i i think put it put it a, a little bit behind here Yes. Super Adventure Island, honestly, would probably be ranked higher on this list, if not for the fact that, like, there are such better Adventure Island games on the NES, Uh you know, to compare them to. But, I mean, you know, there's nothing really wrong with Super Adventure Island, other than the fact that, uh, you know, as we were saying a lot last week, you're basic. I don't know. Maybe this one goes up from there, do you think? Yeah. F1 ROC Race of Champions, which I, for the life of me, cannot figure out how it's as high as 82. (laughs) I think, honestly, just because there was less stuff on the list when we did it. We just straight up forgot about this one. It's a bad game, though. I think that that game should be maybe not bottom 10, but it should be a lot lower than it is at this point. Yeah. Maybe one of these days we'll we'll reevaluate all of our racing games on here and, and... Yeah. You know what? Maybe this one just goes right below extra innings. Okay, so two baseball games in a row right there. I could see that. That works for me. All right. So uh, Cal Ripken Jr. Baseball is going to be our new number 82. So congratulations, sportsman Cal Ripken. I hope you are enjoying your retirement. Unless, of course, you are a bad person, in which case I hope you're not. But if you're not a bad person, then I hope you are. That's... uh. That's the Steampunk Link endorsement. I I hope for good things for you if you are a good person, but if you're a bad person, I hope everything is awful. Covered all the bases. <laughs> Other baseball thing. Didn't even <laughs> I didn't mean any of these. I didn't I didn't mean for any of these to happen. It just it just keep happening. All right, what do we have next? Uh, Folks, we are going to take a quick break for this commercial. Uh, It's Chester Cheetah, Too Cool to Fool. I was looking at Chester Cheetah's Wikipedia page. There is a very, very good segment on here in the history section that I'm just going to share now. 2008 through present, Orange Underground Redesign. By 2008, Chester took aim at an adult demographic with a series of ads featuring the mascot in promotion of orangeunderground.com. In this arc incarnation, Chester, originally a puppet, is computer-generated, but now with photorealistic texture slash detail. He speaks with a mid-Atlantic accent and encourages people to use their Cheetos in acts of revenge or to solve problems, sometimes referring to himself as <laughs> Papa Chester. Wait, 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 wait. Chester was a puppet at some point? At some point, and they decided that was bad, so they just made him a realistically textured CG character. 
I will say, after talking about this game with my wife the other day, we both had a craving for Cheetos, and I, I went out and bought some. And uh, I guess that works. Guess the game worked on us. Yeah. Um. You know, Cheetos. They're all right. Yeah, they're okay. They're they're not something I would usually buy, but if they're at like a party or something in a bowl, yeah, I'll have a couple. So interesting thing though, uh, pretty much no presence of Cheetos in this game. Well, actually I would say that like those paw icons that you're getting are probably supposed to be Cheetos paws. They used to have a product where the Cheetos were. They're, oh yeah, that, that was the thing, wasn't it? I remember those now. Yeah, they were shaped like the paws. I think that's what they were going for here. But like the brand name is not anywhere in this game. Like they're clearly just trying to sell this based on the character. Yeah, it is very surprising to me that they didn't lean more into the commercialization of it, which uh, I guess, well done? I suppose. Do you want to talk a little bit before we get into discussing Mr. Cheetah and his game, you know, to talk about the, the production of this one? So this game comes to us from publisher Kaneko USA and developer System Vision. Sadly, there isn't a whole lot of information about System Vision out there. Uh, Moby Games only lists five games to their name, and they do not have their own Wikipedia page. Their only other game on the SNES seems to be a fighting game called Power Moves, which was called Deadly Moves on the Genesis. As for Kaneko, they were a Japanese company that started out in 1980. They would do a lot of contract work for Taito throughout the 80s, and by the 90s, they were making their own games, including a series of softcore porn games called Gal's Panic. So uh, Gal's Panic is a, a kind of like reveal the image game. It's it's pretty much a clone of uh, actually a Taito game. I don't know if Kaneko worked on this or not called called either Kicks or Quicks. It's Q-I-X where basically you guide a character around the screen and there's a, a line following them. The point of the game is to make uh, squares with the line following your character that reveal an image behind it. Uh, in Gal's Panic, those images are all um, sexy anime ladies. But yeah, they made a, a bunch of these uh, uh, Gal's Panic games, so they were a big money spinner for them, I think. Yeah, and it's also not the only time that the kicks or quicks formula would be used for semi-pornographic games, because uh, we played a game <laughs> way back in the day when we had a series called Tag, or That's a Game, where we talked about a very strange game called Miss World Nude 96, and uh, if we ever bring that series back, we'll have to talk about that one again. Um, along with maybe that, that Raptor thing that we talked about earlier, that conversation simulator. Yeah, that would be great for it. Yeah, absolutely. Getting back to Kaneko, in 1996, the company bet big with the development of their own proprietary arcade architecture known as Kaneko Supernova System. Unfortunately, the bet did not pay off, and the company's output slowed drastically after that. Their last game, Gal's Panic S3, came out in 2002. After that, the company became mired in a couple of lawsuits, and the fate of the company seems to be somewhat ambiguous, but most sources tend to agree that as of 2006, maybe 2007, the company is no more. However, uh, we're going to focus a little bit on Kaneko's short-lived U.S. branch, as they're the ones who actually published this game. 
Kaneko USA dabbled in a bit of publishing on their own, and their titles included the aforementioned Deadly Moves and another Gal's Panic game, among some others. Um, They're actually listed as the developer of the other Chester Cheetah game. Which we will get to eventually. Um, Looking forward to that. So the company was abruptly closed in 1993, and this actually meant that a pair of games that they were working on that were nearly complete were canceled. One of them was based on the cartoon character Fido Dido, or maybe Fido Dido. Are you familiar with that character? Yeah, I am actually. Fido Dido, I think it's Fido Dido, is a weird thing. Basically, Fido Dido is is this sort of like pencil sketch drawing of like a a teenager. It's weird because Fido Dido was, I think, basically like a mascot for hire. Pretty much. Somebody made this character, right? And then several different companies, including, I believe, Nickelodeon, just licensed the character to be used in their advertisements. Yeah, Fido Dido was used as a mascot for a lot of different campaigns. I think the character had a few properties all his own, like a a comic strip or something like that. Even if you're not familiar with the name, you would probably recognize the character if you were around in the 90s. You definitely saw him around. So uh, their other big game... (laughs) That they were working on was called Socks the Cat Rocks the Hill, which was about the pet tuxedo cat of then President Bill Clinton. That actually wouldn't be the end of Socks the Cat, though. That game would get picked up and released many years later in 2018 by a company called Second Dimension, though that was obviously not licensed by Nintendo. That released game is actually very weird because it's ostensibly the game that would have come out if the game had not fallen victim to this collapse of the company that was supposed to release it. I don't know. I've seen footage of that game. I'm a little suspicious that somebody like picked up the source code and then added a bunch of stuff to it later. Cause there's some stuff in that game that I cannot imagine would have been okay to put in a Super Nintendo game. I know that game got reviewed in Nintendo Power. Yeah. They definitely talked about it. That that game was very close to being completed. So, and I mean, since it did technically get released, though unlicensed, maybe we'll actually talk about games that got published without Nintendo's permission after the Super Nintendo was off the market, <laughs> if we ever finished the library proper. So look forward to Socks the Cat, Rocks the Hill, and probably a couple of other things in, like, 2023. At the earliest. But yeah, they actually produce cartridges of those games that will work on original hardware. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I've got on Kaneko and Kaneko USA. So I guess um, it's time to talk about Chester Cheetah. Too cool to fool. I'm going to just reiterate what I said last week when we brought up Chester. I don't like him. I don't think he's a good mascot. He's like everything obnoxious about 90s to the extreme coolitude. That makes it much more annoying for me to say that I actually did not think this game was horrible. Uh, I think we have a bit of a split decision there based on what you said before we started recording. But yeah, I came away from this kind of positive. So I'm not going to say I think this game is horrible, but I do not think this game is good by any stretch. So it is a two-dimensional side-scrolling platformer, like a a lot of mascot games that came out around this time. Chester Cheetah's got a pretty large sprite, as you might expect from a mascot character, because, you know, we got to get all those details in there. He picks up things eerily reminiscent of coins, except they've got little cheetah paws on them. He collects giant cheeto 
Pause. So does anyone remember this product, the Cheetos Pause? Now that you've mentioned it, I do remember these existing. I think that's what they were going for, for the health meter and the items that will replenish it. He also has uh, sneakers that he can pick up that lets him perform a dash. I don't think it's a dash attack. It's just a dash. It's it's a dash. It's mostly used to like jump. Like in the first level, there's a a big pit full of uh, jumping fish that that one of the ways to cross it is to get the sneakers and just do like a big running jump over it. It's mostly stuff like that. Uh, They're not, it's not an attack, but yeah, that's that's actually one of the things that's kind of interesting about that that bit of that level is there's actually two ways across that part of the level. Uh, there's either the the running dash or you can go through the weird like sewer pipe system underneath the the kind of ground level of of the first stage to to get past that. Other power ups that Chester gets include sunglasses, which make other power ups appear that don't appear otherwise, but also dims the screen, which I understand that they're sunglasses, but that's a baffling thing from a gameplay perspective. Like, I do not understand why they would have done that. It makes the screen slightly harder to see, and it's just, it it really annoyed me. I didn't have a problem with that, but I did think it was a little bit of a strange choice. The way this power-up works is it's it's essentially like hitting a P block in, in like a Mario game where like a bunch of extra coins essentially just appear throughout the level for a limited amount of time. Uh, But in this game, it's accompanied by the screen getting dimmer because Chester's wearing his cool sunglasses. And the other power-up that you can collect is a guitar, which makes Chester invincible for a few seconds, but also causes you to not have control over him. And he kind of bounces around while playing it for a few seconds. And it's, again, just a really strange decision that, just slows the game down. It's Yeah, this is a really badly articulated power-up because I thought that guitar was a screen-clearing attack, possibly just because every time I picked it up, Chester happened to hit all the enemies that were on the screen. But yeah, uh, evidently that's not the case. Like you said, it's just an invincibility move that also takes control of the character away from you for a few seconds. Yeah, if, if it were just a really simple screen-clearing attack, that would have made more sense. And also, they probably could have made that go a lot faster, too. Yeah, they just made some baffling choices here. It's interesting that a game about a cheetah is slow honestly basically each level in this game there are only like five stages in this game the setup for it is that chester has been kidnapped out of hip city i believe where he lives and taken to a zoo and you need to collect the pieces of chester's motorcycle in order to help him escape and get back to his cool digs. Each level has a piece of the motorcycle in it. Uh, You have to find that piece and then make your way to the exit. And the levels vary pretty heavily in layouts. The first level is a long left to right, uh, just standard platforming section that has, like I mentioned before, this, this network of tunnels underneath it that you can go down into to you know, both to to find power-ups and also just to get further forward in the level. The second level is this mostly vertical kind of sprawling level with vines that you can climb and swing on to, to make your way through. 
And, um, you know, the later levels incorporate things like auto scrollers. Uh, there's a minecart section in the fourth level that you make some use of uh, mode seven. And the last level is actually like a scrolling shooter. But yeah, uh, Chester throughout all of it moves pretty slowly and he doesn't control tremendously well, given the fact that each stage is kind of pretty different uh i admire the variety um that doesn't always work out so well like for example neither of us were able to figure out what the hell you were supposed to do in the second level to get to the end of it yeah we figured out that there was something with a monkey there's a monkey in the level that once you meet him he will follow you around and so i figured okay obviously i'm supposed to do something with this monkey but i couldn't directly interact with it so I couldn't figure out what to do there. There were there was like an arrow made out of the little coins pointing upward to a, a platform that I couldn't quite reach. There are some vines that you can only climb up and, oh my goodness, if you thought he walked slowly, just wait until you see him climb. But also, some of the vines just swing as soon as you touch them and just kind of send him careening off to the side, kind of gliding. And I couldn't quite get enough height to sort of bounce off of the vine to get onto the platform. He just kind of kept slamming into the side of the, of the platform. I was supposed to presumably I was supposed to be on to continue the level. Uh, it is kind of a funny animation of him, you know, like slamming Wiley coyote style into like the side of a cliff or something. But, uh, yeah, that's only funny the first time it's annoying the next 15 or so. I don't know. I, like I, I may have come away from this game more positive than I would have otherwise, just because, most of the platform games we've played recently have honestly been pretty bad, pretty kind of low effort things. And um, we've also been playing a lot of sports games and I am generally predisposed to like platform games more than those. So, you know, hunger is the the best spice as they say. So, you know, uh, uh, even, even with some mechanical problems, I did kind of like the, the creativity of the stage layouts and, you know, um you know what it was what it was trying to do to some extent um yeah it sounds like it was a lot harder for you to look past the problems this game has uh than it was for me so yeah in the first level there's the whole sewer system that you were talking about i did not realize until much later on that you could go into the sewers you just see the manhole covers from the from top side and i didn't know that you could interact with them there wasn't really anything until like the end of the level when there's an arrow pointing down to let me know that that was a thing I could do. Yeah. Why didn't they put that arrow the first time you saw one? Of them? Yeah. That would have worked really well. Cause there's actually a big enemy in like a steamroller. Apparently you can kill this enemy, but the best way I found to get around them was just by going down the manhole in front of him. You know, while we're talking about that particular enemy, yeah, like you can jump on it, but like only in a certain place. And it's really awkward to know where the, hitbox and hurtboxes on that particular sprite. There's also like a weird mechanical spider thing at the end of that level. That's not even the end of that level. It's like two thirds of the way through. I thought it was a boss and I kept dying because I kept trying to hit it. But it turns out it's like you just have to avoid it until it walks off the screen and then you can continue on. Why would you design it that way? I don't know. That's That was baffling to me for sure. The 
this game just really rubbed me the wrong way. You know, like, the whole thing with the sneakers, I was kind of hoping that when the instruction manual told me that those let me run, that maybe it would actually, like, let me hold down a button so that I could move faster instead of just this really slow walk, but no, it's like a... It's a, it's a specific move. Yeah, you hold down one of the triggers, and then he kind of winds up and then dashes, but you don't even really have a too terribly much control over that either, so... Yeah, I'm not crazy about this one. I guess we need to rank it. I guess we do, yeah. I'm not saying that this is like where it's going to go, but I, I think a good place to start for this one, honestly, is Captain Novelin at number 100. I think these are two pretty similar platformers with big sprites, maybe too big for their own good for the kind of game that they're in and mm, yeah. kind of clunky controls and, you know unintuitive ways of attacking. I, I I think these are pretty comparable. I can see that. I do think this is probably a better game than Captain Novelin. I, I think it goes sort of without saying that I would not put this game above Super Ghouls and Ghosts at 94. It's, it's more playable than that game, and it's definitely got a, a better designed protagonist. I mean, Captain Novelin looks like Somebody gave Rob Liefeld five bucks to make that character in in an hour. He's he's just like he scrawled it on like the back of a cocktail napkin and handed it off to you so he could get back to drinking beers with the boys. Yeah, and and you know adding more pouches to Cable's design. Okay, so if we've got a range between ninety four and one hundred, I'll be honest, I would be okay putting this above something like say wheel of fortune at 96 but i don't think i would put this above nba all-star challenge at 95 i think that's fair i was gonna say either wheel of fortune or the simpsons bart's nightmare you know i think that even though i find the aesthetic of this game not very pleasant i think it's doing what it's going for like it does look like it's in keeping with the cheetos ads of the time uh you know a lot of big flat colors kind of a vaguely graffiti-esque aesthetic there's some good stuff with like parallax scrolling in the later level you know so i think that in that way i think that this is is you know aesthetically sort of punching at a similar level to the simpsons the aesthetic is nothing mind-blowing but as somebody who really likes that 90s design like it did feel very comfortable to me. Honestly, like seeing the look of this game makes me wish that we got that Fido Dido game because I would be really curious to see how they turn that into a game. No, I think that would have been cool. But you know, I mean, if that game was also close to completion, I wonder if there's a prototype out there for it. I think there is. I think I've seen somebody playing that actually. So Okay, well, we'll have to hunt that down then. I think we could actually get our hands on a playable version of that. In any case, I think I would be okay with this being our new number 96. Do you okay. feel all right with that? Yeah, I feel okay with that. So I'm going to leave you guys with uh, one more good quote from the Chester Cheetah Wikipedia page here. In the section about the character's history, uh, where they talk about the ni- 1986 through 2003, the traditional animation era for Chester. In 1992, Chester's own television program called Yo! It's the Chester Cheetah Show was under development for the Fox Kids Saturday Morning Fall lineup. However, an ethics debate erupted over Chester's status as an advertising character, and likely due to protests of action for children's television, the show was prevented from airing. Their petition marked the first time that the organization protested something before it actually became a program. In 2019, a petition appeared on Change.org for someone to make the series happen sometime for Nickelodeon. I can't say that I'm sad that a Chester Cheetah cartoon never materialized. I, I think the commercials were fine. We did not need an entire children's show to sell Cheetos to children. But you know, like given like how many animated mascot characters there were 
advertising on children's television or in the commercial breaks for children's television back in the day. I'm surprised we didn't actually get more of this sort of thing. I think probably because of stuff like this, frankly. You know, these, like, watchdog groups were like, oh, no, 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 no. But I'm surprised that, like, in a world where this was allowed to exist, we didn't get, you know, like a post-serial all-stars to the rescue kind of game or something like that. Actually, you know what? A game that is literally that exists for the Amiga. It was made in Germany. Um, (laughs) I've seen somebody play that game. You can play as, like, Tony the Tiger, the Honey Smacks Frog. Well, well, that would be Kellogg's, not Post. Well, yeah. Even so, it was a bunch of serial mascots, and they all had different moves. It didn't actually look like a terrible game. Yeah. And actually, you know, I guess General Mills might have been better fodder for that, because Post, I'm not even sure what Post has other than, like, the Flintstones for Pebbles cereals. So maybe, like, General Mills with their Lucky Charms and tricks and all that. Like, I think General Mills was the one that was, like, really all in on the cartoon mascots other than Kellogg's. Hey, Kellogg's, we got Tony the Tiger and... um, Cornelius Rooster, the K from Special K. <laughs> the Sun from Raisin Bran. Wait, is Raisin Bran is is that Kellogg's or is that Post? I thought that was Kellogg's, but I could be wrong. I don't have a great handle on which food company owns which cereal, if I'm being honest. Folks, this is Cereal Talk. Uh, this is our new podcast, Cereal. I'm fairly certain no one has that name yet. That one is totally available. Yeah, we're, we're going to, okay, this is our new spinoff podcast, Cereal, where we just talk about <laughs> breakfast cereals. <laughs> Oh, oh my god, let's talk about um, this this basketball game. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Bulls versus Blazers in the NBA playoffs. What a strange title. I mean, I, I guess, you know, they wanted to emphasize the fact that, you're okay, you're not going to be playing as all the NBA teams. You're only going to be playing as the teams that were in the playoffs that year. Interestingly enough, they also include two all-star teams, which I think was their kind of sneaky way of getting in some other prominent players that were on teams that didn't make it to the playoffs. You've got, like, the Bulls and the Trailblazers, obviously. You've got some other teams in there. I think the uh, Phoenix, Seattle, um, a couple others, and an East and West all-star team. And, uh, yeah, other than that, it's it, this is an EA sports game, so you know who they are. I'm not going to dig into the history of that right now, but um, it's got... You know, most of the game modes that you would expect, you can play against another player, you can play against the computer, you can play a tournament mode. I I guess, you know, like, basically the playoffs in this case. Um, Yeah. And uh, this is only the third basketball game, if you're counting, NBA All-Star Challenge, which... I don't know if you really could, but... Honestly, is probably pretty generous, yeah. Uh, But yeah, this is sort of the second proper basketball game. That we uh, we have played. And uh, this one ain't too good. Uh, it doesn't have the dynamic camera angles of NCAA, and it is choppy. That frame rate is bad. This game is rough to look at, and to play, honestly, because of that frame rate. It doesn't look good, and it feels really stiff and slow to play. I'm also finding that I know a lot less about the rules of basketball than I thought I did. Ooh, yeah. that's what, That was the thing for me here. I got called for penalties on all kinds of stuff that I'm not even sure why the game let me do them. I did not realize that if you stop moving when you're on offense and you have the ball... You cannot just start doing that again, apparently. You have to pass or shoot the ball at that point? Is that is that right? I guess. It, I mean, that certainly seems to be how it is in the game, but I, I didn't 
realize that going in. I got called for traveling, which I just thought was when you take two steps without dribbling the ball. That's what I thought, too, but I guess not. Um, This is just showing how little we apparently know about basketball, I guess. This is not me ragging on the game. This is me completely admitting... I am a basketball idiot. I know less about basketball than I thought I did. Yeah, me me too, as it turns out. Do you have any idea why the game is split up into these little, like, 24-second bites as well? Like, do you understand why that was happening? Are you talking about the shot clock? Is that what that is? Yeah, that I, I did know about. That I, I think, like, when you have possession and you're you're on the offense, you have a certain amount of time to get the ball in the, the net or the ball gets turned over. Um, that, that I did know. Having said all that, though, we had fun playing NCAA basketball. We had more fun playing that one than I think either of us expected. This one I just found harder to play than I thought a basketball game would be. And, and I mean, objectively, like, the, the frame rate is sluggish. Like, it's not, say, race driving sluggish, but it's pretty bad. And I, I don't remember NCAA, which is doing a lot more complex stuff with the camera, being as choppy as this game was. And this game is very just straight on, you know, side view kind of stuff. I don't think the players look good. I don't think the the, the court looks great. None of it moves well at all. So, you know, I think for, for games with like a, a pretty fast sport that they're trying to depict, you know, basketball or soccer or tennis, having it move quickly and smoothly is pretty important to it being enjoyable as a video game. And this really kind of fails on that count. Yeah, I, I don't have a lot to say about this one. I mean, again, you know, we are just so out of our element when it comes to sports. And, and I think we're going to have to do something about that going forward. We're not going to stop covering the sports games, but we've got a few plans for, you know, maybe making sports a little bit easier for us to handle or at the very least getting them out of the way. Yeah. And for you guys to listen to as well, because I can't really imagine that hearing us say pretty similar stuff about most of the sports games we cover is at this point that entertaining for all y'all out there so we are we are planning to do something different with sports games starting in 93 but we'll we'll talk more about that as we get there I guess let's just go straight to the list with this one and, and figure this out. Yeah, let's do it, yeah. So I'm just going to start from NBA All-Star Challenge at 95. So that game, I think, is much better presented. I could actually figure it out. It's not really technically basketball. And I mean, like, if you were looking for a proper basketball game, that game is going to disappoint horribly. But this one is so it's just such a poor quality, at least it seems to be that I wonder if these little basketball mini games would be more fun and be a better representation of the sport than what this game is. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? I, I mean, I, I do think that NBA All-Star Challenge is, is a more fun video game than this. I think it is better put together. I think the individual events, even though they're very simple, are are all, you know, pretty much more more entertaining to do than than the actual game of basketball is to play here i just i can't really see how i could recommend bulls versus blazers to somebody whereas depending on what you want i could actually you know give a shout out to nba all-star challenge and say yeah check it out i was just looking at the list here the gulf between our two basketball games right now is so wide because like we've got ncaa basketball all the way at number 29 yeah i mean that's genuinely a good game and a very technologically impressive one so um, so, so where are we coming down on this one? Does this go above or below NBA, you think? 
All Star Challenge. I would put it below. I think. I think it's just too rough for me to to feel like I can confidently give it give it the edge on on NBA All Star Challenge. You know, speaking of games that are rough, how about we look at something like Faceball Two Thousand at number one hundred four? We haven't brought that one up in a while. We have not. That's true. I think this is probably slightly better than that, but I, I don't know. Baseball 2000 is not hard to grasp, but there's not much to it, especially since this is the version that doesn't have multiplayer. No, Baseball 2000 is too simple. Like, it's too simple for me to, to, to say that's something good. Of, it, it, there's enough in its favor. Um, so right about baseball, we've got Clue, the not really that functional uh, adaptation of a board game. <laughs> I mean, at least here they tried to represent basketball, and I, I think they they represent NBA basketball better than Clue represents the Clue board game. Maybe. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Got Chuck Rock at one hundred two. Probably, I would put this above Chuck Rock. Uh, you know, I just don't like the character of Chuck Rock at all, and I don't think that any of the mechanics in his game are are fun enough to save that game honestly <laughs> well we got uh captain novelin at 101 now and we got cubert 3 at 100 those are i mean cubert 3 is a pretty lamentable game i don't know i mean cubert 3 is is really just cubert you know like it's really just that classic arcade game it's ugly looking but it is it is a functional version of that game with some different layouts it's at least got a decent bit of content in it you know, I, I think where this stops for me is probably Wordtress. I don't think I would put Bulls versus Blazers above Wordtress, but maybe above Cubert Three. I can't really say. I I think I'd be okay with that. What do you think about making Bulls versus Blazers and the NBA playoffs our new number one hundred game? I think I'm good with that. So uh, new number one hundred, we've got. 132 games on this list. All right. We're we're almost out of the sports for and, and we're almost out of 92, honestly. Yeah, only a few more episodes and yeah, only uh actually a couple more sports games, I believe. I am personally pretty pleased with that. I did not have much to say about about any of these sports games that we've covered over the last few episodes. Next time on the show, we're going to be talking about Gemfire we're going to be talking about gods. Ooh. And finally, we're going to be talking about goal. Goal. Wow, you did it. You did the whole thing. Uh yeah, we're going to talk about goal, which I assume is a soccer game, but you know, you know, soccer has fared better for us than a lot of other sports on this system, so. Yeah, you know, and uh that one's a Jalico game. They've got kind of a funky energy to them, so maybe that'll be good. All right. Well, folks, we've uh, we've had fun. I guess it is time to get serious. Things are getting a little scary right now in certain parts of the country. Um, we have a literal Gestapo-like force grabbing people off the street in cities where protests are going on, and that is worrisome to say the least. But it's also been really, really encouraging just seeing the backlash to that and how many people have come out and seeing them finding tactics to drive them back, basically proving that, yeah, we can stop you guys. We can fight back. You know, so that's all been like a, a glimmer of hope through uh, through all the horribleness that we've been seeing these past couple weeks. But another thing that I've been seeing that's, you know, kind of disheartening is a lot of leftists on Twitter just outright saying that they're not going to vote in this next election. I feel like a lot of people are 
putting this as a dichotomy of you either vote and support the the establishment, which is bad, or you do the work on the ground to help change things. And I don't see that as an either or perspective. I think you can do both. I'm going to vote in this presidential election. I'm not going to be happy about it, but I'm going to do it because there are people who can make things marginally better, who are not my first or even 12th pick for who I would want to be voting for, but this is what we got. That that does not mean to stop with the direct action and the other stuff that you can do to try to to make change happen. You know, like Link was just saying, you know, this is one of many things that can happen. And no matter who you vote for, no matter who wins in November, the work of trying to make things better cannot and should not stop with that. Even if you're more optimistic than I am about, you know, certain candidates running right now, we cannot be complacent. I mean, we still need to keep fighting the good fight, uh, no matter who wins in November. And again, like, don't don't be led into this way of thinking that you ha- you have to either do one or the other, that you either have to count on change happening through the system that has failed so many people so many times, or that, you know... It, it can only happen through direct action and, and protesting and civil disobedience and all this other stuff. Like, I don't have a lot of faith in the system right now, but I'm not writing it off as completely lost either. I am going to do both. I hope you will too, because I think by, you know, implementing both tactics, we can end up winning this thing. So that's all I had for today. All right, folks. Well, uh, with that, uh, keep fighting the good fight. And uh, we hope to see you guys next time on the show. We really appreciate you listening. Until next time, I'm Steampunk Link. I'm Emmy Zero. Play it loud. Our intro-outro song is How Now Brown Cow by Technoaxe, who very generously offers a ton of great music for free and royalty-free at technoaxe.com. That's T-E-K-N-O-A-X-E dot com. It's not easy being cheesy.